Okay, so I'm, I'm talking about the dynamic kingdom, and I've kind of spent three weeks setting this up. So I'm going to move into like the second phase of this series. And where the, the, if, you, if you want to think of a theme, I'm going to just put it right out now into your head. I'm going to be using these words, the spontaneous expansion of the kingdom. Say that, spontaneous expansion. Spontaneous expansion. Because what God gave us, the seed of the kingdom, the, the, the dynamics of the way the kingdom work, it's supposed to work spontaneously. And that kind of goes against the grain for a lot of us because we think, well, you know, we, we've got to organize it and manage it and control it and put it all in place and finance it and do all the rest of it. They're all good things in the right place. But often they can also get in the way of the kingdom. And so when I was kind of, basically I was crying out to God a couple of years ago and I was saying, God, like, you, I was basically telling me he had to do something about our country. God, you, you need to turn this around. You need to, to, to show us what we need to do because what we're getting and what we're seeing, it's good, but it's not enough. And he put this word into my head. And the word is this, the re-revolution. The re-revolution. And I said, well, you know, what's, what, what's that mean, God? What does it mean when you're saying the re-revolution? He said, well, I always started one. I started one 2,000 years ago. It was called the kingdom. It was called discipleship. And now I want to keep it going. But you, 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 you need to say, I'm going to enter into that re-revolution. You see, you can have a revolution by returning to the ways that's, that, that worked before. When you've drifted away from them, it becomes revolutionary to go back to them. So what we're looking at isn't just something that is small and tiny and incremental. It's a revolution that we're, we're believing God for and we're praying God, to God for. And that's why we're doing these prayers every day. Because we want to start believing God to do something on a bigger scale than we're currently seeing. And so that's why I'm calling it the re-revolution. Now, here's, how, here's the core principle of spontaneous expansion. Fishermen catch fish. Fishermen catch fish. Disciples catch disciples. There's that word, catch. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And a lot of the things that they do are around fishing and going out on the lakes and bringing in catches and bringing in, in like nets full of fish. And here's, the, the, here's the, a, a really simple question. I think I've, I've talked about it, alluded it before, but what is the difference? So here's a question. What is the difference between how the apostles did discipleship and how Jesus did discipleship? I don't know if you've ever thought, is it seen that there's a big difference between the way Jesus discipled people and the way the apostles discipled people? What's the difference? I haven't told you, have I? Oh, good. <laughs> okay, here's the, here's the difference. Discipleship seemed to be a lot quicker for the, for the apostles than it was for Jesus and a lot less intense than it was for Jesus. And there's a big difference. It's called, he's called the Holy Spirit. And before Jesus was discipling people who didn't have the Holy Spirit. And honestly, we all know that some of them were pretty hard work, weren't they? But now we've got the Holy Spirit. So what he's looking to do with us 
isn't based on the Jesus model of discipleship. It's based on the post-Pentecost Holy Spirit model of discipleship, which is much quicker, much more powerful, and allows for something that is spontaneous rather than hard work. I'm sure Jesus at times thought these disciples are really hard work. He told them at times, you're really hard work, guys. You know, I'm, you, you really need to start listening to me and doing what I'm saying. And of course, people like Paul and Peter say the same things post-Pentecost, but the process was a lot quicker. The process was a lot quicker. Now, here's a, a quote from uh, something that I was looking at, because the, the way that, that the Lord led me in this, he, he led me to, uh, you know, like you go down little rabbit warrens of connections. And I found this guy, uh, and it was, uh, he, the first book I found that he'd written was called Sim- uh, Missionary Methods. St. Paul's are ours. Uh, And what he was saying, this guy, he's called Roland Allen. And Roland Allen was a missionary in China uh, over 100 years ago. And what he was finding is that the the mission approach that they had, which was basically, we'll send some missionaries out, and the missionaries will come back every six months, and they'll ask us for money, and they'll take 20 years building a school and looking after a few orphans. And they got, saw very little fruit. It was very hard work. And it always was very limited by the amount of finances that were, he, he was able to raise when he went back. But that's how he'd been taught in mission school. And so he started to question, is the way we're doing this right? And he started to look at what St. Paul did and looked at his missionary methods. And he found a big difference between what, what, what they were doing as part of a mission uh, team sending and what St. Paul did when he went out. And, and this is a quote from the book. This then is what I mean by spontaneous expansion. I mean the expansion which follows the unexhorted, and listen to these words, unorganized activity of individual, mem- individual members of the church explaining to others the gospel which they have found for themselves. I mean the expansion which follows the irresistible attraction of the Christian church for men who see its life and are drawn to it by desire to discover the secret of a life which they instinctively desire to share. That strikes me as radically different from what we are experiencing or even aiming for today. It's very much about individuals sharing the Christ in them, sharing the story in them. And what happened is he started to, 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 to adopt this and look at, at the, these, these methods that, that he saw God revealing to him. And, and about that, the, the thing is that the, the biggest thing he discovered is that this is unorganized activity of individual people. And the thing that's attractive to those who are unsaved is seeing Christ in those individual people. And that's, that's, what, we, that's what we need to aim for. You know, we've t- been talking a lot about how this relates to uh, the church, how this relates to the Holy Spirit, how we hear the Holy Spirit, how we follow the Holy Spirit, and what's the, the church's part of that. And I'm going to unpack that a bit for you over the next few weeks. But for now, what I want you to see is that Perhaps the way we are trying to reach people has put too much emphasis 
on our organised activities, and that has allowed us the excuse of not walking this out as individuals. I know that's that's a strong word, but I think I think that's the case. I think we have uh, created a system in the church world that causes us to rely on the church world and we can't see beyond the organized church world for our part to play in it. And therefore, our part to play becomes what we do in church. And we all aspire to ministry, which is all in church. And we all aspire to serve, which is all in church. When the world is out there and exists in the 110 hours a week, we're not at church and asleep. And, and I believe God's he's given us a challenge as individuals. This isn't a challenge for faith life. This is a challenge for every individual. And, and I, I'm trying to re, you know, rise to this challenge in terms of what God's showing me. What we do here is incredibly valuable, but it's a few hours a week. And it's not going to create something that is a spontaneous ex-kingdom expansion. Worse than that, it might give us the impression that, that we are doing something when actually what we're doing is spectating. And God is not really in the spectator business. He's in the loving on his kids business and sending his kids out to find other kids business. That's, that's, that's what he's in. So the, the, the components that you discover when you look at this spontaneous expansion, I've got a little wheezy cogwheel slide up there. But there's, there's basically four components to this. I'm going to try and talk you through them really quick this morning. So there's the Holy Spirit, biggest cog, biggest cog, big, most important component. There's um, the, the reality of evangelism. I'm sorry, the priority of evangelism. There's what I call the catalyst approach. That's what I'm going to talk about this morning. You'll see what I mean. And there's faith. The kingdom works by faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. Everything we have in the kingdom is by grace through faith. So faith is what makes this all happen. Faith is the vital ingredient. Now, as we call ourselves faith life, and we've talked about faith life for 12 or 13 years, we should have got the faith bit. We should, be t- t- you know, we should have made some progress on that, guys. We, we, we need to keep progressing and letting God work in us so we trust him more and fall more deeply in love with him and trust him and leaning on him and not on our own understanding. And, and, and faith is what makes this work. So we've got to have that vital component. Now, so four basic points. First point is this, for, for this spontaneous expansion. The first basic point, there are many things that we can do as individuals and as a church, but we have to restore the priority of reaching others. Secondly, what we saw, and this is a hard one, this is a really hard one for ministers and leaders who, whose life is invested in growing their church. Okay? Because that's a reality for many ministers and leaders. But we are catalysts to enable others to do the works of the kingdom. We are not permanent fixtures and controllers. And that's a big difference. 
We're meant to be catalysts. We're meant to spark fires and let them burn. We're not meant to control the fires. We're not meant to organize the fires. And we're certainly not meant to gather the fires in and build them up so we get bigger and bigger. I thought so. <laughs> if it was me, I'd take credit for it, but it was Holy Spirit. And he's telling me all this about 18 months ago, and I'm going, I can't like that control bit. <laughs> Actually, I don't. I hate it. I hate it. I really don't. That's, I'm, I'm probably not, you know, not enough sometimes because I don't want to put my hands on anything the Holy Spirit's doing. Third component, the, the, really the vital component. We really have to get with this agenda that God's been putting on our hearts for so long now, which is the ministration of the Holy Spirit, following the Holy Spirit, hearing his voice, doing what we see him doing and saying what we hear him saying. So let me, let me get back to these kingdom principles. Let's go to something that Jesus talked about. I'll go to Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 26. Really well-known passage. We usually kick off sort of the second or third session of Rock Solid with this. We talk about this passage a lot. So you, a lot of you will have heard it. The kingdom of God is if, as if a man should scatter seed on the ground to sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself doesn't know how it does that. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, I could talk about a lot about that passage, and I do talk a lot about that passage. And if you want to know like a full exposition of it, we've got like two or three of them sort of recorded and available from the office. But here's what I want you to see about this. The man scatters the seed. But he doesn't know how that produces the harvest. There's a, somebody else involved in bringing forth that harvest from the hearts that the seed is scattered into. And that other person is the Holy Spirit. And so that means that if we're to play our part, and I'm talking to us as individuals. I'm not talking to faith life this morning. I'm talking to us as individuals. And if we're to play our part, that means we have to try and cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit, not get in the way of the work of the Holy Spirit. And we must not replace him, exclude him, or sideline him in our life and in our corporate life as a church either. And so... That's, that's this first principle. So how do we go about catching fish? How do we go about this, seeing this spontaneous thing happen, this spontaneous expansion? Well, I'm just going to talk about some, some things that enable us to catch fish. In our case, what we're catching is souls. Okay, the, the, Jesus uses fish as an example, but we're catching souls. We're catching lives. We're catching people who need to know how much God loves them. So how do we do that? And when I started to study this out, it's really kind of plain. Jesus made, I, I was astonished how obvious he makes this. Here's where we get sidetracked. We try to do some of the things that is the Holy Spirit's job, and we expect him to do some of the things that are our job. 
And we need to be clear on what's our part and we need to be clear on what's his part. And when you do that, it creates a dynamic that is very different to, to when we get, get it the wrong way around. So here's, here's the first one, and, and there's a little mnemonic. You see if you can work out the mnemonic. So the first thing is this. So I'm talking firstly about what our part is. This is our part. Say, so this is what I do. Say enthusiastic. This is what I do enthusiastically. <laughs> I'm going to uh, uh, John chapter 15. I'm just going to read you uh, a couple of verses from uh, here. So firstly, verse 4. This is our part, right? Jesus talking to his disciples. Abide in me and I in you. We start at that place. It's not the end point, but that's where we've got to start everything. We've got to be people who abide with God, to, who listen to his voice, who, who get close and, and draw near to him and draw near to his heart and go into his presence. Abide in me and I in you. And the branch, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. What does that tell you? That tells me that I can't bear any of the right sort of fruit if I don't abide in Jesus. What that tells me is Jesus is saying that you might have a lot of activity, but there is no ultimate kingdom fruit unless you're abiding in me. Because if you're going to have the right sort of fruit, it's got to come because you're close to my heart. And I think that's massive because this is what this... this, this guy, Roland Allen, discovered. And he, he was at the forefront of a massive revival in China in the early 1900s, you know, before the communists came and shut everything down. Huge, huge revival that we, we don't really remember or talk about now, but just absolutely massive. And he was these principles of understanding what the Holy Spirit does and understanding what, what we do. And so the second part of this is, again, we're going to do stick in John this morning. John chapter 3 in verse 7 and 8, you'll know these verses if you've been around church for any length of time. If you haven't, they're brilliant. You know that. It's like somebody comes to Jesus and says, what, what, have, what have I got to do, Jesus? And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. And then he says this, do not marvel that I said to you, you've got to be born again. Because clearly it's a shock to the guy because he doesn't understand at that stage what it means to be born again. He doesn't mean understand that Jesus gives you new life. When you give your life to him, he gives you new life. And he comes to live in your heart. And he gives you a new heart full of the Holy Spirit. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but don't know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And I found it, I was sat there and I was chuckling and grinning away this morning when we're talking about sails and catching winds and all that sort of stuff. And I'm thinking, that is so spot on because I know where I'm going. So the first step is this. What do you do? You catch the wind. Our job is to catch the wind. Remember, the Holy Spirit's the one driving all of this. Jesus is the one building his church. Our job is to catch the wind and go with the wind. So what do you do? Let's say this is the state of our nation and this is the state of our church and this is the state of us individually. Let's just say that. Um, what do you do when it's calm and there's no wind blowing? 
What do you do as a sailor? What do sailors do when there's no wind blowing? Here's what sailors do when there's no wind blowing. They don't rest. What they do is they put their sails up and keep moving them till they find where the wind is, until it catches the sails. So in times of calm, they don't have the sails down, they have them up. Because when the wind comes, you can't get them up. I thought so. In times of calm, what sailors do is they put up as much sailcloth as possible. Now, here's what Jesus is saying in these verses. You can't make the wind blow. The Holy Spirit blows where he will. You can't determine how he's going to blow and from what direction. The Holy Spirit blows where he will. But that has an implication for us. It means we can't create movements, but the Holy Spirit can. So we have to uh, be people who are abiding in Jesus, who are vessels positioned to catch his movement. And the only way we can do that is to put up as much sail as possible so we catch every facet of his heart. So, what do we do right here and now? Because this is our place. This is what we do. We align ourselves by raising the sails of the kingdom in our approach to ministry, in our approach to life, so that we catch where he's blowing. Now, what, what I get from that is that we, we as individuals and as a body need to develop our sensitivity so we don't miss the things that the Holy Spirit's doing. Instead, we participate in them and go with them. Yeah. And part of raising our, our sails is, is, has to do with internal structure. It has to do with the way you organize yourself. Because... You can organize yourself so that everything runs on you and you build on the foundation of your ability. Or you can organize yourself where you're, you're actually seeking to hear God, pursuing God, and then acting on every little thing you hear. And when, it, when you adopt that approach, things start to change and miracles start to happen around you. And, and life starts to come. So we can organize our church life and we can organize our, our individual lives so that we keep our focus in the right place. You know, growing a church does not require the same methods as growing the kingdom. And growing the kingdom is what Jesus is about. Growing individual churches should be a byproduct of it, not the focus. So growing the kingdom, we have to do kingdom principles. Now, I realize that some of this is kind of like, it might be like messing with your heads. Like, what's Mark saying? Well, I'm saying what I'm saying. I'm saying what I was given, so I haven't got anything else to say. So you'll just have to process it, let the Holy Spirit do whatever he does with this, okay? 
So that's our place. Catching the wind is our place. Hearing him say what he's saying and, and, and then speaking that out and seeing what he's doing and then doing it. That's our place. That's it, full stop. So that's catch. That's C. A. Now, this is really interesting. A. Attack is the job of the Holy Spirit. Attack is the Holy Spirit's job. Now, what do I mean by that? Go with me to John 16, verse 8. Here's two questions. What is the Holy Spirit doing and who's he doing it to? That's, that's what I'm asking you. What's the Holy Spirit doing and who is he doing it to? Because it'd be kind of good to know what the Holy Spirit's doing, wouldn't it? Then we can participate and not get in the way. So this is what the Holy Spirit's doing, according to Jesus. I think he knows. When he has come, that's the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will do this. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me. And he goes on, he talks about what righteousness and judgment means. But I want to concentrate on that bit of sin because they do not believe in me. What's the Holy Spirit doing? He's convicting. He's on the attack. Yeah? He's, the Holy Spirit is always working on people's hearts. He's always trying to bring conviction. He needs some raw materials to go with it. And that's the seed that we're scattering. But he's working on people's hearts. What's he working on? Jesus is really specific here. He's saying the thing that the Holy Spirit's doing, it's not convicting everybody here how bad they are. He's convicting the world, not the believers. Our own spirit in us convicts us and, brings, and, and works through our conscience to show us how God wants to raise our lives up to higher levels and, and and, and to be more like him. But the, the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of what? Their unbelief in him. Ultimately, the biggest sin in the world is unbelief in Jesus. You know, what is it that stops somebody? What is it that stops somebody going to heaven? And, and, and so that they end up in hell with the enemy. What is it? And I ask that question, I ask that question wherever I go, and people say sin. It is not sin. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world 2,000 years ago. What stops people finding their way to heaven and finding their ways to the arms of the Father is their unbelief in Jesus. They need to see Jesus. They need to be presented with Jesus. We need to look like Jesus so they can see what he looks like. Because if we don't look like Jesus, they're going to hell because they'll never find him. We need to look like him. This word convict, it means this. It means to interrogate, to convince, to attack, to accuse. It's a bit like a lawyer. The Holy Spirit, I don't know. You can't see it. That's the thing. You know, like that guy couldn't see what was happening underground when he planted his seed. You can't see what's happening in people's hearts. But Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is working in people's hearts and you need to be aware of it. He's acting like a lawyer and he's pulling up all the evidence and he's, he's extracting that evidence and he's presenting it and he's showing that person why they need Jesus. 
That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. So why are we trying to do it? Why are we trying to tell the world how bad it is? Because that's not anything the Holy Spirit does and it's not anything Jesus told us to do. Our job, abide with Jesus, catch the wind. Holy Spirit's job, work on people's hearts and bring conviction in their hearts of their need for Jesus to turn from their, 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 their ways and find Jesus. And yet we just want to slam everybody and we, just, we slam Christians as well. So here's some conclusions. When we evangelize, we are not the first person who has spoken to that person. Jesus just told you that. Even if you were the first Christian they'd ever met, you're still not the first person because the Holy Spirit already got there before you. And that means you're not dealing with completely uh, solid, unruffled ground. You, you can't see that. And that that, that's the, the exciting thing about the kingdom. You can't see it. But it's true, nevertheless. They've already had the Holy Spirit working on their heart, whoever they are. So our job is to find the people who are already responding to his attacking. That, does that start to sound a bit easier? The fact that you're not responsible for persuading them. So what implications does that have? If that's, if that's all true, and it is, because that's what Jesus says, what implications does it have to us on a practical level? Well, the first obvious thing is that what kind of in line with what I've just said, our job is kind of to sniff out where these people are and go and, go and talk to them, go and show them Jesus, say to them the things that the Holy Spirit gives us to say to them, do the things that the Holy Spirit shows us to do. That's our job. That's what we do. It's not for us to tear down and argue away the obstacles in their hearts. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to say exactly what he gives us to say and do exactly what he tells us to do. And Jesus, he kind of gives the, the disciples pre-Holy Spirit a bit of a trial run on this. Because what he does is he gives them a method that catches the wind that catches the way the, the, the wind is blowing. And then in Jesus' you know, own terms, he sets the wind going by speaking it out himself because he's full of the Spirit. So this is a slightly different scenario to what we're in. Ours is actually, in theory and in reality, although we don't believe it, an easier scenario than those disciples had. And in, and in Luke chapter, I think it's 10, he tells them to, to go into a particular town and find somebody called the man of peace. So you, you pray before you go in, and you go and find this man of peace. Do you remember Jesus saying that to his disciples? Yeah. You know, he tells them not to take anything and all that sort of stuff. And he tells them to go and find the man of peace. Now, that's a kind of a, a weird phrase, isn't it? Because we don't talk like that anymore, do we? Go on, go and findeth thou the man of peace. It's, a, it's an even uh, stranger word because... Well, let me, let me come on to that. In every place and in every situation, in every neighborhood, Jesus has somebody called a person of peace. Now, what does that mean? Now, it means that that person of peace is somebody the Holy Spirit has already worked on who is receptive to hearing more. 
So we have, to, we have to scatter seed till we find that person of peace. And Jesus says, when you find that person of peace in your seed scattering and doing the things I'm telling you to do, then you stay with them. Because you found somebody who's receptive. And then he, he uses another phrase, which is even stranger, because uh, it's, it's a Greek word, and he talks about oikoses. Obviously, we have an English translation of it. But here's an English translation of the word oikos, your household. Households aren't what we, we think of. I mean, like in our house at the moment, there's me, Cheryl, the dog, and Ubel staying till tonight. That's our household. <laughs> And, and the dog's not that interested unless we're feeding her, to be honest. <laughs> and, and so, what's a household? Well, do you, what Jesus is talking about when he talks about that is that we find the person that the Holy Spirit has been um, working on and he's, whose heart softened, because he's working on everybody, but not everybody's heart softens, who's receptive to hearing more, and then you stay because that person might be an oikos or have a household. What's a household? A household is all the people around you you influence. And you say, let's assume that for the moment that, that, that Joyce is the person of peace. She's interested in what I'm saying and I, I share about Jesus with her and she becomes a believer. Now, jo Joyce has a circle, a network of people. I don't know who they are. I haven't a clue. I know some of Joyce's friends. I know some of her family. But I don't know everybody Joyce comes into contact all day with. I don't know who all her relationships are. But God has already prepared a circle of influence around Joyce. And Joyce, as the person of peace, gets set on fire by God and influences that whole household. And this is what this guy, Roland Allen, discovered about the spontaneous expansion of the church. You find one person of peace who responds and they're the 30, 60, and 100-fold reproducers of themselves. So we participate in what the Holy Spirit's doing in a person's heart by finding the person of peace, spending time with them, and letting them go to multiply. And that's how Jesus set the kingdom up. Not a lot of that has to do with managing a church. This is really, really valuable what we do here. But this is meant to be a training center to show us what to do and a reporting back to celebrate our victories in the presence of God. Yeah. And then to pray and encourage each other to expect and believe for more. Whilst being a safe place where we work out our walk of faith through all the storms of life. So it's got a value, but it, we need to go beyond that and say there's actually a missional thing that we haven't prioritized. And the missional thing's down to us. So our response is really to share with many, to share with friends, family, neighbors, colleagues in order to find the one or two that the Holy Spirit is prepared. And you remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how the power of the soul works and how all that works. I'm not going to go into it again, but that's, that, that's what we're doing. And what do we use to, to do that? What do we use to filter that? Well, we used to filter that is our story. Our story of what Jesus has done in our life is our most powerful witness. I don't know if, it, if it's 
um, ever you've ever noticed this, but Jesus didn't call everybody to be evangelists. He gifted evangelists to the church, but he didn't call everybody to be evangelists. He called us to be witnesses. To be a witness of something, you have to have experienced something, and something's got to have changed as a result. And so what we as witnesses are sharing is this, our story of what Jesus changed in our life. Why, why we look the way we do. Now, third thing. How do, you, how do we make disciples? Well, the, this is the third thing that we've assumed. We've assumed that teaching people is our job. Now, this is a little bit more controversial. But Jesus is kind of adamant, and Paul's kind of adamant, that teaching the heart of a person is the Holy Spirit's job. Yes, he's provided teachers and apostles and prophets and so on to the church, but we also need to, those, those teachers, pastors, prophets, evangelists, um, and apostles, they need to do something more than just teach and apostolize and prophetize and whatever, evangelize and pasteurize. <laughs> it needs to do more than that. That's a spontaneous. <laughs> we, our real responsibility, and I, I believe that this is something that the church of our generation has failed us on, in that we need to teach people how to hear the Holy Spirit so that he can teach them himself. Because yeah. teaching that makes a difference in a person's life is not here. It's teaching the heart and training the heart. Does, does that make sense? I'm sure there's a much deeper revelation in there that I'd like to express, but I'm still blown away by my pasteurized joke, so I'm not going <laughs> to. So John 14, 26, this is what, what Jesus says. Let's go back to it. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So, you know, you, your, your faith life, so you know you've got to get the word in you. You know you've got to value the word. But what this is saying is that the Holy Spirit's going to use that word and he's going to train and teach your heart with that word. And that's so important. And that's something we, we need, really need to emphasize. That it's not just about information and knowledge about the word. It's not even about seven-step programs or... I'm not knocking seven-step program. I'm just telling you it's not, it's, that's not the essence of this. It's not about formulas. It's about the Holy Spirit t training your heart and, and you understanding how that process works. So, before the Holy Spirit came, you have this pre-Pentecost model of discipleship. And pre-Pentecost model is basically... If you look at Jesus' model, when Jesus says, I'm going, I'm going to heaven, one of the things, well, the big thing that the disciples come up with is, how are we going to cope without you here, Jesus? That can't be right. You know, like you're telling us you're going you're gonna to die and go and, and leave us. Wouldn't, no, 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 no. What, what are we going to do? And Jesus said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And he says, it's necessary I go so you can have the Holy Spirit. Why? Because his pre-Pentecost model was this. I've got to intensively disciple people 
teach them, deal with all the, 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 the failures, deal with all the issues in an unrenewed, non-spirit-filled heart, which is not capable of dominion over sin at that point, because Jesus hasn't conquered death and sin. And I've been dealing with all of that. And you know what, guys? It's hard work, and it's not the best. But I'm going to go and do something that's going to make it easier. Because the, the, the trouble with that is that the disciples just illustrated what the trouble with that is, is, Jesus, how are we going to do any of that if you're not here? And Jesus is going, but I've got a plan. I've got a plan. I've got a plan for what you can do if I'm not here. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to do all of that. But more than that, he's going to come and live in you. So not only are you going to be hearing instruction, but the Holy Spirit's going to be changing your heart and giving you a new life from the inside out. And you're not going to have to depend on one person. There's a really key message in that, that a discipleship program or a church program or church ministry or anything else that is that leads to dependence on the person heading that ministry is fatally flawed. Worse than that, when we structure ourselves, we find ourselves locked into what we are experiencing right now in the Western world, which is human-dependent, plodding, hard work, slow growth, finance-eating, person-burning-out church. That's life without the Holy Spirit. That's life without kingdom principles. Because it's limited to what we can do. I've been controversial enough this morning yet because Cheryl likes me to be a bit controversial and she can come round and hug people afterwards and calm me all down. <laughs> so we have to think, and we, you know, I, I talked a little bit about this last week and I was talking about it uh, this weekend to our Faith and Life group. We need a discipleship approach that actually sets people free to fulfill the potential that God's put in them as individuals. And when we do that, we will discover what Roland Allen did, that believers can mature much more rapidly and minister sooner and produce fruit much more quickly than he ever expected. Um, Andrew, I, I, so I'm, I'm just going to finish with this, but Andrew lent me a book from a guy who, who working in a, a country where I think it never tells you which country he's in, so I think it's probably because it's illegal to be a Christian there. But he's been, he, he followed some of the principles that Roland Allen put out and, and, and developed that into a way of approaching. And he, he set off basically with him and a farmer who didn't turn up to any of his meetings on time. And over a 10-year period, I think up to about 2000, 2012, they have had 1.7 million traceable baptisms as a result of his ministry and have planted over 300,000 new churches. That's the spontaneous expansion of the church. And all he's doing is this stuff. That's what he's doing, but he's doing it all the time. 
And you go, well, okay, he's in a country where Christians are persecuted. It's not, you can't be Christian. And we all know the gospel works better under persecution. It's a different country and it's not ours. And, you know, we, we're hardened and we're the West and you've got all this sort of stuff. And you, you get to all of that and you go, so what? What if he only does 1% of that here? We've still got 11,000 baptisms over the next 10 years and we planted something like 30,000 churches. So what, what's, what's the problem, guys? You know, sometimes we talk ourselves out of the 1% because it looks rubbish compared to the 100%, but the 1% would be pretty welcome right now. That's only 1%. I actually think it's 3,000 new churches, not 30. You know, as an accountant, my maths doesn't always work that well. <laughs> so what do we do? We find a loss by sowing seed and scattering seed far and wide, not ruling anybody out, responding to what the Holy Spirit shows us to say and tells us to do. And we find those whom the Holy Spirit is attacking their hearts and they're, they're open to hear more. And then we train them and disciple them and teach them to rely on the Holy Spirit for themselves as their teacher so they can obey all he's telling them to do and do all they see him doing. This is a really simple gospel. I like this gospel. It's much more simple than all the management books you can get. So here's the the mnemonic. Catch the wind, C. A, attack is his job. T, teaching the heart is his job. We don't do those two. What we do as a church is we mobilize, we train, we help people make this journey from uh, where they are to where the Holy Spirit becomes their all. And that's it. And when we do this, we will see the Holy Spirit sweep across this land. And meanwhile, we keep praying, we keep digging in, and we keep expecting God to move on a daily basis more and more in every single one of our lives. But most importantly, we cry that prayer that Andrew was talking about this morning, and it's become my constant prayer, which is God set me on fire so that I might never go out. Mm-hmm. And all that fire that you've already put in me, God, keep stirring it, keep like fanning the flame, because I don't want to go out. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for all these things that you've been showing us. And Lord, I just pray that however small or large our own internal flames for you are, that they will get bigger and bigger as that wind of your spirit blows through. And Lord, right now, I'm asking you to to fan those flames, to blow through with your spirit, Lord, in every one of our hearts, to blow away the cobwebs, to, to, to set ablaze those embers that have been just like smoldering for so long. And Lord, I pray that you would start a move amongst us. My my prayer every day is that you would start a move amongst us that the world and the earth and every opposition can never put out in any one of us. Lord, your kingdom come in us. In Jesus' name, amen.